0: Verse 12 through verse 23. Verse 12 through verse 23. 1 Corinthians 15, reading at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins." Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order Christ the firstfruits afterward they that are Christ at his coming and we're going to title this message from what Paul says several times in the text we read if Christ be not risen use that phrase several times several different ways now we do not use that phrase as if we are skeptical about it we do not use this title to cause people to doubt or to fear or to wonder but bringing this phrase to light and to speak on it should cause us all to consider what if christ is not risen what the ramifications of that is what the consequences of that is As Paul discussed, and perhaps most of all, what kind of faith do we have concerning the resurrection of Christ? Now, since Christ was put in the tomb, there have been skeptics about the resurrection. About what he said would happen, and about what did happen three days, three nights later. Many, most I suppose, have lived in denial of the resurrection of Christ. And today, as you may know, they're still digging and scratching around over there in the land of Palestine trying to find the burial place or what they believe to be the body of Christ. I do not doubt but what if the Lord prevents His coming and we live long enough, somebody somewhere will claim to have found His body. That would suit so many people. That would make you so very popular. And it would certainly advance the cause of Satan and all skeptics. So, just thank God today that you're not among those who are looking for for something that's not there. Alright? However, let's consider the phrase because Paul entertained this thought not from a negative standpoint but from a very logical standpoint. If Christ be not risen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, did not come out of the tomb, then that very thing... Of no resurrection is the torpedo that sinks the boat of Christianity. It sinks the whole thing. Christianity deflates to nothing if Christ be not risen. All the hope of Christianity disappears, dissolves, like the Bible says life does as a vapor. It just ceases to exist. What about eternity? What about what happens after one dies? Everything we believe and think disappears. And we're left with nothing if Christ be not risen. Now I would believe if we could prove it that since the beginning of time and Adam and Eve people have been debating, arguing, wondering and speculating about what happens when someone dies or ceases to be. That will always be there. It's always been there. And there's everything you want or have an appetite for from A to Z concerning that. You can find a belief or a philosophy about it right up to the modern deceptions Of the 21st century, we've got all these people who never before, nobody ever came back from the dead. But in this century, we got all kinds of people who have died on the operating room or in a car wreck and seen the light, seen the tunnel, had the experience, talked to Jesus and everything else. I wonder if people wonder why that never happened in previous generations, but all of a sudden it's happening today. You know, people just don't think. And that's so very sad. But they are, and I'll go on record as saying it, modern deceptions. Modern deceptions. If anybody wanted to tell us what it was like, Lazarus could have told us, but the Bible didn't give him any space, did it? The most accurate thing we have is what Christ himself said concerning death Concerning judgment, concerning eternity, and the two places of eternity, heaven and hell. And Christ dealt with it quite extensively. But the Bible teaches, and we as believers believe, that Christ is the only solid hope there is. Amidst all the beliefs and deceptions that are out there about whether you come back as a turnip or you don't go anywhere at all, you just dust to dust, Whatever it is, the only solid evidence, and when I say solid, I'm, I'm talking about something that's based on something that's real and has some evidence to be proven, lies in this person who said he was the Son of God, that said he was the resurrection and the life, and who said he would lay down his life, he would take it up, he would do it in three days and three nights, and that in so doing he would give believers who believe in him the hope that the end is not the grave, that there is a life hereafter. What is the importance of the resurrection of Christ? Well, there's nothing any more important, probably. What do I mean by that? Christ did a lot of things that were important. Christ preached and taught doctrine. Christ's life was important. How he got here was important. How he left here was important. It's all important. But when I say nothing else is more important, I'm simply saying this. As far as the person of Christ, his life and work here on earth, and the end of his life, His resurrection after he died and was put in the tomb literally is, call it the last straw or the final peg or the final nail, the final bolt, nut, whatever of the plan of redemption. It is, maybe in a different example or sense, it is the last stitch that the seamstress puts in. And it better be tied off, hadn't it? If you sew a button or something on and the end of that thread's rough dangling, guess what? It's going to dangle and dangle a little bit more and it's going to start coming undone. And in fact, probably a better illustration would be a a weaving or a crocheting. I've watched women and different individuals crochet and how they make those loops and they're all attached by loops, aren't they? And I've watched them and seen, oh, I messed up back here. Well, all they got to do is pull that needle out and pull the thread and it'll just (laughs) unwind itself right back where they made the mistake and they can fix it and take off. But when you get done, you better do something with the end, hadn't you? Because if the end of that crocheting or weaving or whatever, when it's loop to loop to loop to loop, is not tied off properly, when you undo that end and pull on it, what will it do? It's like dominoes falling. It'll just it'll just unravel from the last stitch or the last loop all the way back to the first loop. And that literally is what happens with God, the Bible, Christ, Christianity, every doctrine, all of his life, his person, everything. It all Unravels and becomes smoke if Christ has not risen from the dead. His person of who he was, his life, his work, our faith, and our hope, it just ceases to exist. It just disintegrates. Think about that just for a moment. If Christ be not risen, then all of the prophecies leading up to him, we just have to throw them away. They were good to some degree, to some point, but if Christ be not risen, then they have come to naught. You know, they prophesied a virgin would conceive, they prophesied what he would be, what he would do, and all of that, and he did. But if he be not risen, what does it amount to? It says that he would be born of a virgin, yet the Son of God, the incarnation we call it. And that's something that's beyond our comprehension, but we believe it with all our heart that he was both man and he was both God. He had no human father. He was indeed born of a virgin. He was sinless, without sin, impeccable, and could not sin. But what good is all of that if he be not risen? We believe the power of God that he had to perform the miracles that he did. We believe the things and the power that he had over death when he said, I'll lay down my life and I'll take it up again. But if he did not come out of that tomb, then death is victorious. And you can write it all off. None of the rest of it matters Because the redemption and everything he claimed to be that he did was and claimed to be is just immediately erased if he was not risen from the dead. If Christ did not rise, then death is the victor. And we ought to fear death and not God. So that's why we say it is vitally important that is why the New Testament deals in a very prominent way by all the writers emphasizing the resurrection of Christ. Because in the immediate generations and time immediately after Christ died and rose, everybody was championing the resurrection of Christ. That was the message that needed to be heard. No longer the message he's coming. No longer the message he's here, the kingdom is at hand. But that he rose from the dead was the message of the New Testament. And Paul in the passage I have written here is writing to some in the Corinthian church who are living in denial of this. And I don't think they actually realize they're in denial of it. As he begins in verse 12, he says, If Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Because the two are so joined together, you can't separate them. And Paul is literally saying, How can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? That's the same as saying Christ didn't rise. You can't split it up. You can't have it both ways. But knowing the church at Corinth, there were some in there that did not believe that. Now, not believing in a resurrection is something that, again, has always permeated humanity. Even the religious Judaizers, there were divided into two groups on that, remember? There were the Pharisees, and the Sadducees and they had their differences but one of the most main and outstanding was the Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees says there is no resurrection of the dead so Paul is addressing these individuals who are claiming no resurrection and again we don't know if there's any Sadducees there or not but they were some very babes in Christ in the Corinthian church They are deniers in that sense. And Paul is simply, in the verses I read to you today, following this to its logical conclusion. Have you really stopped and thought about what you're saying? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then that's the same as saying Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, do you realize what all that entails? And this is the way we discern truth, and this is the way we discern error. If people would just think about the consequences of the things they believe, it might help them to find the truth. But there are consequences to what you believe. Alright? Logical consequences. And when you go down or entertain a false thought or an error, the further it goes, the worse it gets. And that is because error begets error. And as students of the Bible, we should catch on pretty quick. This is leading away from truth, not toward truth. So how can this be true? Study the Scripture, rightly dividing the Word of God. What fits, what doesn't fit in that respect? So Paul is speaking to the deniers and saying if you say there's no resurrection of the dead you're pulling the rug out from under the feet of your own feet of everything that we believe as Christians so it is so tied in its premise at the beginning that to believe Christ rose from the dead is to believe in a resurrection of the dead. Not to believe in a resurrection of the dead is to deny that Christ rose from the dead. They are inseparable. In other words, let me say it one more way. Christ could not have risen from the dead himself and there be no resurrection of believers. And there can be no resurrection of believers if Christ did not rise from the dead. They are inseparably Joined together. So, Paul follows this this logical argument and repeats several things several times when he says in verse 13, just turns it around a different way, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. No matter what one you put first, they're both negatives or they're both positives. But that's the way it is. Then he goes on to say, and he says that in verse 13. It appears again, verse 16 again, he repeats himself. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. If nobody comes out of the graves, that's because Christ didn't come out of the grave. But as Christ came out of the grave, then they're coming out of the grave. And when we preach a funeral or speak at a memorial service when someone has died, we put the sole hope of seeing that individual again and of that grave opening on the fact that Christ came out of the grave. And that's the only hope we have. There is no other reason to believe anybody would ever come from the dead if somebody had not come from the dead that had power over the grave, and that's exactly what Christ claimed to have had. So, if the dead rise not, then Christ is not risen. The logical conclusion of that is, verse 14, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. Paul saying our preaching is not only vain, it's wrong if Christ be not risen. Because we preach that Christ did rise from the dead. And Paul himself claimed to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. If Christ be not risen, there was no greater fraud than the apostle Paul himself. There was no greater group of imposters or fakes and frauds than the disciples of Christ, the eleven. We know Judas was a fraud in some context. But Paul, claiming to be an eyewitness, would have been a false prophet, a false preacher, a false teacher, and everything he preached wouldn't be worth the time of day if Christ is not risen. And then he also says, if our preaching is vain, then your faith is vain. Why would he say that? Because he has told the Corinthians in the other letter, I begot you with the gospel. Meaning Paul was the instrument of their faith. It was Paul, the apostle, who came to Corinth preaching the gospel of Christ, which of course includes the resurrection of Christ, which they believed, which was their faith. Faith is believing. Believing is faith. Not believing, no faith. You have faith, you believe. It's the same Greek root word, faith and believe so if the dead are not rising that means Christ is not right has risen if Christ is not risen then there's no resurrection of the dead and if Christ be not risen then our preaching amounts to nothing it's just hot air it's just vain philosophy and if our preaching don't amount to nothing then you don't have any real faith just keeps getting worse don't it it does he says he says then we become, verse 15, false witnesses of God. If our preaching is vain, if it's preaching something is not true, we claim to be ambassadors for Christ, we claim to be the witnesses of Christ, and if what we're saying is not true, then we're false witnesses. Liars. Liars. And you know, he doesn't say it here, but let's follow that to a conclusion. Where did Paul get his information on the words of Christ himself? Who said, destroy this tabernacle and in three days and three nights, I'll raise it up. Talking about his body, not the temple. Said, I had power to lay it down, I got power to take it up. I have power over death. That's what he said if he did not come forth out of the tomb after he died all of that was a lie not only is Paul a false witness but Christ becomes a false witness but Christ claims in the book of Revelation to John to be the faithful witness and we believe he's the faithful witness don't we and we'll get into the reason we believe what we believe before this message is over Lord willing but again it gets worse Paul becomes a false witness and that makes Christ a false witness also not because Paul was first but because Christ said it and that's where Paul got it then something worse than that he mentions verse 17 if Christ is not risen not only is your faith in vain you're still in your sins in other words no forgiveness of sins If Christ promised to take away your sins and He also promised to rise from the dead and He didn't rise from the dead, are you really going to believe that He could take away your sins if He couldn't come forth out of the tomb? You see, it shoots it in the foot. It destroys it all. It literally, again, erases everything Christ ever said, everything Christ ever did. It wipes the slate clean if He be not raised from the dead. It doesn't matter if you got it all right to the very end and then failed in the very last. It wipes it all out. That's not a very comforting thought, is it? To be yet in your sins if Christ be not risen. Well, that's bad for you, isn't it? Of course it is. That's terrible. That's tragic. What are we going to do now? We we be kind of like Cleophas and his buddy on the Emmaus road, you know. We we thought Christ was the one that the prophet spoke of, and He was going to do this and He's going to do that. And now they killed Him. And he's dead, and He's in the grave. We don't know what to do. You know, they were falling apart at the seams, weren't they? I love those words. And Christ said, "Ought not?" Well, first of all, He could say it in a compassionate way. Oh slow to believe and ignorant you know is what he's saying ought not Christ to have suffered and entered into his glory don't you get it Christ had to die you know I mean wake up call here you know but they were all turned wrong side out weren't they I mean the hope of Israel and all that he's the hope of sinners (laughs) and where are we at at if Christ can't take away sin, and if He couldn't come out of the tomb, then why in the world would we believe He could take away sin? We might as well believe in death. It had more power than Him. Well, that's bad for sinners. We're yet in our sins. But then another thing is shattered when He says there in verse 18, let me tell you something worse than that, if Christ be not risen. So He's just following this down, and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. Those who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. The hope we had for those whom we love who have died, that's gone. I mean, if death claimed him, then it's got them. If it got him, it's got them. If he couldn't deliver himself, he can't deliver them. They just perished. We don't know where they are, what they are, we don't have hope for ourselves who are still alive we don't have any hope for those that have already died we're without hope and that's literally it literally our hope becomes no hope and that's what he's saying in verse 19 if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable so if Christ be not risen then our hope becomes no hope at all or a hope that's no better than anybody else's hope, which is the way I was raised, they said, well, that's just wishful thinking. That ain't much of a hope. If you're just wishing for something to come true, and you have no evidence of any kind that it might or will come true. That's a miserable place to be. It's a miserable place to be wondering if Christ came out of the tomb. And I don't know how many people are there, but I'll feel for them because again, the Bible is written, it says, that we may know and we may believe that the things that are written herein are true. So that's all, and let me say it and get it, that's all the hypothetical that Paul follows to a logical conclusion by those who are claiming there's no resurrection of the dead then they are consenting and affirming all of these things Paul just brought up. So they hadn't thought about it. They hadn't thought about none of that. That's why he's telling them. Do you realize by not believing in a resurrection what you're really believing in? You're wiping out everything you do believe in if you don't believe in a resurrection. Now he changes his tune, of course, to the positive in verse 20. Verse 20, he ends the logical conclusion of the deniers and begins with, but. <laughs> In contrast, right? And tells it like it is. This is the error of what you're thinking. Now I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter. What does he say? But now is Christ risen from the dead? And again, he says that For one reason, on the authority of being an eyewitness, seeing and having spoken to the risen, resurrected Christ, the apostle who was born out of due time. Should we just believe Paul? If Paul is just one voice that says this, might make skeptics out of all of us, huh? But Paul is not the only voice. When you look at the New Testament and what's recorded here, what history has said and been recorded, the evidence, I don't know what God could have done to make the resurrection more convincing to those who lived during that time. I mean, Christ didn't just come out of the tomb and disappear, do He? he? That's not the record we have. Well, He's not here. He must have risen. Well, no... They tried to cover it up by saying, what, you know, we don't know where he's at, but let's just tell the story. Let's, let's send it this away that they came and stole him while the guards were asleep. Okay? And that was the cover-up story in that regard. But we don't have to wonder because we've got numerous accounts in all of the Gospels, numerous individuals giving their testimony, Paul being really the last one to see the risen Christ alive, and this is all recorded, by the way, in the first part of, of chapter fifteen, right here. Uh, he tells there in verse three about uh, verse four. He was buried, rose again the third day, according to Scripture. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he's seen of James, all the apostles. Last of all, he's seen of me, also, one born out of due time. So it's not one person's story, is it? It's not just the story of the eleven who were left, but it's the story of numerous individuals, which at the time Paul wrote this, about 50 something A.D., most of them were still alive. And saying this. But again, are we just going to take people's word? Does it all boil down to no? There's some other reasons and even some better reasons to believe that Christ is risen from the dead, that he did what he said he would do, that he had power to do what he said he would do. And one of the first of those is, during his own ministry, while he was alive, before he died, he showed the power he had over death, in that he raised three individuals, the scripture records, from the dead, okay? There was Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl. There was the widow of Nain's young son, young man he's called, okay? And then finally there was Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, whom Jesus all loved, all three of them resided in their home. So, when Jesus raised these individuals from the dead, he showed he had power over death. The only thing he didn't show was that he had power over his own death, which is the ultimate power, is it not? I mean, just think about it. It'd be one thing to have the power to raise somebody else, but how are you going to have power to raise yourself when you're dead? That kind of doesn't make sense to us, does it? Well, it shouldn't make sense because nobody has that power. You've got to be something other, hum- other than human to do that, and Christ, of course, was. He was both God and man. He died in the flesh, but as God, he raised himself from the dead. So, he exhibited power in his ministry over death, and he exhibited power over terminal diseases that caused death. And he exhibited power over demons who are instrumental in bringing about suffering, sickness, disease, and death and oppressing people. So there was no power that was greater than his power while he was alive. He wasn't powerful over most things or many things. He was powerful over everything. That's pretty convincing evidence if you ask me. And again, think about it. How many witnesses were there of this? We just got the Bible record. There was a historical record there. Okay? If there'd have been newspapers, it would have been in the newspapers. If there'd have been news broadcasts, it would have been on the news. They wouldn't have known what to do with it, but they'd have thrown it out there and twisted it some way because it was too big to deny Just just take Lazarus, or any one of those. Jairus' daughter, uh, you know, the funeral possession, or Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus in particular. You know, I mean, he's dead four days, he stinks. They roll it back. You can smell the putrefying, putrefying odor of decomposing flesh. And again, they rolled it back before Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, people already got a smell of what dead is. They already knew. And then this man speaks. And again, suppose you just showed up there and happened to coincidentally be there. And who is this guy? And what's he going to do? Huh? And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of there bound in grave clothes. That's pretty convincing evidence to me, isn't it, to you? You ever heard of that before? You ever seen that before? He prayed to the Father, Lord, I'm doing this, you know, give me, you know, and boom. There's a dead man, a stinking man, a rotten man. And now he's not rotten. Pretty convincing. Very convincing. All all the miracles that Christ did manifested that. Also his teaching. And then Christ, or rather, Paul says here, Christ is risen from the dead. Now, he's already risen. He's not going to rise. He is now risen from the dead, and the first fruits become the first fruits of them that slept. And he says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And we know very clearly that by death, it came by one man, the head of the human race, Adam, don't we? When they sinned, that burden of responsibility and penalty was laid upon Adam. Even though Eve was first and involved, Adam was the head. So the burden, the responsibility is laid on him. He is the first Adam. The Bible calls Christ the second Adam. And what a beautiful thing that is that the second Adam came to reverse what the first Adam did. And if Christ be not risen, then it was a total and complete failure. And death again has won and we can question what even happened if there was an Adam or if there was a fall or anything else because the resurrection is not true we have no reason to believe in creation to believe in God, to believe in anything this book says one thing you cannot not believe and be saved is the resurrection of Christ you just can't believe it, not believe it it unravels again everything else that is important and is taught for our redemption. So, wonderful, wonderful thought, beautiful truth, that the hopelessness that death brings on the human race by our first parents, Adam in particular, is erased and taken away in the second Adam, Christ. Christ. And this is why he is the second Adam. He had to be one of us to do it. He couldn't just sit and judicially as God erase it. He would not have been God. The penalty was death. And God to be just, righteous, and holy could not remove that penalty. That penalty could not be appealed. That penalty could not be done away with. But Christ came in the flesh that by his death in the flesh he could abolish the penalty of the first Adam which was death and if he didn't do that he was a colossal failure and again our faith is vain so Christ says Paul says Christ said it too he would be the first fruits of those who die in Christ and first fruits is a very simple term Okay, when a fruit tree bears fruit, they don't all get ripe at the same time, do they? And thank goodness they don't, because that's too much work at one time. But there's some that gets ripe first, and then it peaks, and then there's a few at the last that get ripe, right? So that's just simply what it means. Christ was first. And everything else is based on him. I mean, again, if you have a tree of any kind of fruit, when the first one starts turning or the first one gets ripe and you go out there and pluck it or pick it up and you partake of it, what happens after that? There's more on the tree. They're still green, but this in here got ripe. I'm looking forward to when the rest of them get ripe. They're going to follow after this one. They're going to do what this one did, right? I mean, that, that's the exciting thing about it. If there's just one on the tree and you get it and it's gone, that's not much hope, is it? But when there's a whole bunch more out there that's going to ripen just like this one did, then that just sets you in a different frame. That's exactly what it says here. If Christ rose from the dead, then we have hope when others die in Christ, that they will rise also. In fact, I love this. I I just, I have always wondered. The Bible doesn't say but very little about it in Luke chapter 20. Let's look at that quickly before I finish up here. Luke is the only one that records this in verses 34 through 38. And he says there that when Christ died, the veil of the temple was uh, rent in twain, And uh, let's see here. Uh, No, that's not Scripture I want to read. I'm sorry. The one I want to read is uh, Matthew 27. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 verse 52 and 53. And uh, Matthew's the only one that records this. I got my crossed up there. It says in Matthew 27 verse 52 these words. Uh, Well, let me read 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's when Christ died, yielded up the ghost. Verse 50. The earth did quake, the rocks were rent, the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Right here we have a preview. (laughs) We get a little preview of what it's going to be like. People saw this. People witnessed this. It's in the Bible. It's the record of people who lived then. Now imagine this. I, I believe just like it says here, when Christ died, expired, yielded up the ghost, committed his spirit to God the Father. Several things up. We don't have time to go into it in detail, but think about it, okay? Carry it with you. The veil of the temple was rent. Now we have access to God in the holy Holies, From top to bottom. It didn't just rip a little bit. She come down from the top to the bottom. It also says uh, that there was an earthquake. Rocks rent means they were split in two. Like we recently preached rending a garment. And it says here that the graves were open. Most people were buried back then just like Jesus was in caves and they had a rock rolled over the front of the cave. So when this all happened, it opened up. But they didn't come out because Christ was the first fruits. After Christ came out, then they came out. And they went into Jerusalem and walked around and greeted people they knew and people saw them. We don't know how many. It don't matter if it's one. That would have been enough. But it was several. Many bodies of the saints. Just like Lazarus. Were walking around alive. We're not told what happened to them. We're not told if they kept on living and Jesus went to heaven. I have no reason to really believe that. Uh, I'd tend more to believe that Jesus took them with him. Because that's what he promised to do with everybody else when they come out of the grave. That follows natural. But nevertheless, here's a preview of exactly what he said was going to happen. Now I do want to read a scripture in Luke to you, chapter 20. But this deals with resurrection way back. And I'm going to hit these pretty hard and pretty fast, and then we'll wrap this up. Luke 20 verse 34 deals with Christ answering about the trap, about the woman that was married to seven different brothers and whose wife she's going to be in heaven and so forth and so on. And uh, Jesus begins His answer and in verse 37. Let's just skip for time's sake and look there. And He says, Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord... Uh, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob for he's not a God of the dead but of the living for all live unto him have you ever thought about that this is in way back there right Moses at the burning bush and God reveals himself to him and that this is about resurrection when you read these verses Moses says, who are you? He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Moses could think, well, they're all dead. And God says, I'm not a God of the dead. I'm a God of the living. I mean, think about that. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are deceased. What's the meaning of that? There is no meaning unless there's a resurrection. There is no meaning unless they're with the Lord. There is no meaning to it whatsoever if they're just buried in a grave and are never going to come out or are going to be there throughout all eternity. And he proves it by saying, I'm not a god of the dead. I'm not their god and they're still laying in their dead. Their bodies are in there, but not them. Christ then would come along Luke 16 say that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Not in the grave, up there. So our God is either a God of the living or He's not. And this goes back to Moses at the burning bush. A lot of people think the resurrection is a New Testament teaching. No, it's not. Job said what? I know that my Redeemer liveth, and one day He will one day stand upon this earth and I'll see Him eye to eye, face to face. Those skin worms destroy this body. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to have another one. I'm paraphrasing. Job 19. David said that in Psalms 17 and 15. I'll arise in his likeness, I'll be satisfied. In fact, just read it this morning at the beginning. Psalms 23. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. That's resurrection. It's not just a New Testament doctrine. The saints believe this. The evidence of that being again, those that saw him, we've already read in 1 Corinthians 15 even above 500 brethren at once so there are those who want to speculate and wonder if christ really rose or not some are still scratching and digging around in the dirt looking for him thank god by god's grace we know better than to do that i'd rather believe the words of somebody who was never caught in a lie who did all things well who had all kinds of power over death, disease, and everything else that there was than what the skeptics would say, hadn't you? The evidence is there. It's whether people will believe it or not. And I'll give you a reason why people don't want to believe in the resurrection of Christ. I'll tell you very simply why people don't want to believe it. You don't have to think very hard. If Christ is alive and well, they're going to have to face Him. They're going to see him. Now the Bible says when he comes, people are going to try to hide and run away from him, get away from him, and get away from that judgment. By denying the resurrection, they're doing that very thing right now. And have been from the time he rose from the dead scoffers in the last day where's the promise of he's coming they don't want to believe he's coming because they don't want to see him and they don't want to face him if he rose from that tomb guess what he's alive and well and that means everything else he said is coming true if he did not rise then verses starting at verse 24 of first corinthians you can just forget it he's not going to deliver up the kingdom he's not going to come back There's nothing else is going to happen I don't have time to go into the details of all, but you can read it for yourself. Uh, chapter 15 here in verse 51 through 57 tells the details. So does First Thessalonians 4:13 through18. about when Christ comes, those who are alive will not prevent those who are in the graves. The graves, again, just like at Christ's resurrection, the earthquake, the graves will open. Saints' bodies will come out of there, a glorified, redeemed body, united with their spirits. Then we which are alive and remain in the moment in the twinkling of an eye shall be changed from this corruption to incorruption. We'll all be joined together and forever with the Lord in the air. What a blessing it is to stand in a cemetery and declare that kind of hope. And the Bible gives us the evidence for it so if Christ be not risen got all kinds of terrible repercussions but Paul said but Christ is risen and there's all kinds of proof for that and that's the hope that we have that's the hope that we believe in and what a joy it is to have that hope and how we wish all could do you have that hope today if so give God the glory